Good morning. And Happy New Year. Thank you. <laughs> Have you ever wondered, you know, was January 1st always the start of the new year? Well, I did, so I looked it up. Uh, Julius Caesar actually started January 1st as New Year about 45 B.C. And all was well for about, about 600 years until the Council of Tours decided that the church really didn't like all the partying that was going on on January 1st and said that was an ancient mistake and we should abolish that. So uh, for about the next thousand years, up through the Middle Ages and so, we celebrated the start of the new year at about seven different dates around the years. Then about 1,600 people, the country started settling in on January 1st. England, you know, our, you know, our predecessor country, kind of adopted it in 1752 as the start of the new year. So kind of the way I look at it, we've been totally unanimous that January 1st is the start of the new year for about 250 of the last 2,000 years. That's not bad. But this is the time where we traditionally mark the start of the new year by our picture of the future. Kind of what we turn our attention to what might be. And we make, we make resolutions about potential and promise and hope for the new year. And I wonder what really marks the new year. Is it, is it the, the passing of some arbitrary date on a calendar or time on a clock? Or is it our renewal? Is it our sense of purpose and promise from the upcoming year? Well, I generally don't make resolutions because <clears throat> I really don't like how quickly I cave in on promises I make to myself. Um, but I think... That the things you want, the things that you hope for, say something about who you are and what you value. And I, and I think that what you want reflects something about what you think about God. So what are you hoping for in the coming year? Prosperity? Security? Safety? Weight loss? You see, the, the psalmist tells us that if we take delight in the Lord, he will give us the desires of our hearts. But God's promise brings up a profound question. What do you want? What do you dream about? What are the desires of your heart? Do you dream? Do, you, do, you dream, do we even dream at all? You see, many things that we call Dreams are, are oftentimes just a, just a hope for the absence of calamity. You know, may we not lose our jobs. May we not uh, have to live in a smaller house. May someone not come our way who actually wants some of our time. Or you know, Some of us hope in a more fundamental level, hope for, for safety for our children or, or free, freedom from wants from where food might come from. But all in all, often our dreams are nothing more than hopes comfort. So my question is, have we lost the ability to imagine how God might be at work in our lives? Do we surrender the privilege of imagining, of dreaming what could be in exchange for the comfort of what is? I've got a favorite Christian writer, Mark Buchanan, who says, the worst consequence of losing our imagination, our wonder, 
is that we no longer will see the Christ word life as an adventure. We'll see it as a duty, a chore, a list of do's and don'ts and how-to's. We think the point of life is to stay, stay as safe and undisturbed as possible. You see, it's your imagination. It's your ability to dream, to imagine that connects what you think about God and how you will allow God to work in your life. Let me say that one more time. It's your imagination. It's your ability to dream that connects what you think about God with how you will allow God to work in your life. Let's, let's look at a biblical example of someone had to grapple with this, as Chappie mentioned. We're going to look at uh, a passage from the book of Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, and that's in page 704. Anybody wants to follow along in your pew Bibles? I'm going to use a slightly different version. I'm going to use the, the NIV, but uh, it's very, very similar. It's the Valley of the Dry Bones. Ezekiel writes, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them. I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And he asked me, Son of man, some additions have that as, as mortal, but Son of man, can these bones live? And I said, O oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesize to these bones. Say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath into you and you will come to life. I will attach skin and tendons to you. I will make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, a noise, a rattling sound, the bones came together bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they might live. I love that phrase, breathe into these slain that they might live. So I prophesied as he commanded, breath entered them and they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up, our hope is gone, we are cut off, therefore prophesy to them. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. O oh, my people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. I will open your graves and I'll bring you up for them. I will put my spirit into you and you will live. And I will settle you in your land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have done it, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Wow, what an amazing image, what an amazing passage. Let's, 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 let's unpack it a little bit. Let's look at, first at Ezekiel himself. What do we know about him? Well, we know he was living in Babylon during the exile. That's, that's in present-day Iraq. 
And so that was about 600 B.C. Uh, we know some things about him himself. We know he, was, he lived in a house. We know that he was married. Um, like his fellow exiles, he, he lived a relatively free existence. He was a member of a priestly family, so he was able to serve priestly duties. So, you know, in short, in spite of this nagging kind of exile thing, life was okay for Ezekiel. It was doing all right. But God wouldn't lead, leave him there. God called Ezekiel to an extraordinary life of prophecy with messages focusing on Israel as the holy people, the holy city, and the holy land. Now imagine the scene we just talked about. Try to imagine it if you could. A valley full of bones. I'm not talking about a little pile kind of here or there or, you know, like your backyard full of bones. A valley full of bones. There were so many that God led him to wander around back and forth in them. I could, bones were dry, bleached by the blazing sun. I, I can almost sense that, the hot Iraqi sun off these pure white bones and the waves of heat coming off of it. Can you see it? Can you imagine it? Can you imagine the sense of desolation, of isolation? Can you imagine the sense of horror? What could have caused this? Then God asked Ezekiel a fascinating question. Son of man, can these bones live? Why? Why would God ask Ezekiel that particular question? God has the power to make these bones bright pink polka dots and dance in a line if he wants to. He doesn't need Ezekiel's support. He doesn't need Ezekiel's consent. So why does he ask Ezekiel the question? When you ask the question, you invite the other person into the answer. Ezekiel at some level had to consider what it might look like if the bones did live. What might... What might his role be in that? What, uh, what would be the consequences of the bones coming to life? God invites him to imagine the impossible. Something that is absolutely without precedence. And it's a huge question. So huge, in fact, Ezekiel waffles on the answer. Ezekiel, all he can say is, oh, the sovereign Lord, you know. And a few, few verses later, in chapter 11, God shed some light on it for Ezekiel. He tells us that these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say these bone, our bones are dried up. Our hope is gone. We are cut off. You see, what's going on here is that Israel, God's chosen people, has suddenly found themselves in a totally alien environment. They're, they, they are now without their temple. They are now without their land. They are now without their power. And they're put in a position now where they've got to totally reimagine what their religion might look like, what their faith might look like in in these kind of circumstances. They've lost everything that's divine them as a people. Or so they thought. There's a key phrase in verse 11. They say. Have they lost what's defined them? Absolutely not. God has been with them every step of the way. The problem is, is they cannot imagine how God how might be using them 
in exile, how God might be blessing them, what God might possibly have for them. Have you ever walked through a valley of bones? Have you? Maybe you have. Maybe you have seen pictures of genocide. Maybe you have walked down streets of abject poverty. Maybe someone, some far off country, maybe right here in Cincinnati. Maybe you have seen the desolation of addiction. Maybe you have seen brokenness of exploitation of, or of pornography. Maybe you have walked back and forth amid oppression, injustice, and fear. Where people are dried up, cut off, without hope. Have you ever seen such a place? Has God ever asked you, can these bones live? I wonder why he would ask you that particular question. Anybody like to watch Extreme Makeover Home Edition? There's a hint. Yes. Anybody else watch it? Everybody kind of understand the kind of the plot, what goes on in the show? Okay. One season last, uh, one Sunday last season, they were building a house for a preacher, Gerald Martinez. That, can you see it? Everybody see it? That's Gerald and his wife, Lee. Um, they had been living in kind of idyllic conditions in a, in a ministry in the hills, in the mountains of Colorado. And, and God called Gerald and his wife to one of the most poverty-stricken areas of Albuquerque, New Mexico, an area called Trumbull. And even though they were surrounded by despair and poverty and almost daily violence, they fell in love with the neighborhood. Gerald worked with the community and raised $60,000 to buy houses in Trumbull and convert them into duplex apartments for the, for the poor. Ty Pennington, who's the, who's the show's host, was talking to Gerald about it, about, it, about his ministry. And Gerald was kind of standing there and he looked out and he said, you know, and you can see there'll be a playground over here and there'll be a, a, a community center here and then maybe there'll be a kitchen over here. And I remember thinking, I was watching the show right at that second, that's it. Gerald made the connection. Gerald was able to see what he thought about God and connect it with how God could live in his life through his imagination. You see, God wants us to participate fully in life with him. But to say, I dream, is really saying, I'm willing to risk. I'm willing to sacrifice something today, time, energy, Money, emotional commitment. I'm willing to sacrifice something today for something that I envision for tomorrow. Now think about it, just for a second. We are the individually crafted masterwork of the creator of the universe. We are endowed with a grace that is sufficient, love that is immeasurable, strength that is divine, assurance that the gates of hell will not stand against the church, and the promise of an everlasting life with Jesus Christ. But how many of us dream of what that could be here on earth right now, today? Do we imagine things that no one thinks is possible except the God in whom everything is possible? 
do we allow ourselves to think beyond ourselves, beyond our talents, beyond our experience, into an arena where there is nothing left but God? That's a dangerous area. Think about Peter. Everybody knows this story, I think. He, soon after the crucifixion, he and several others went out fishing for the night. And in the morning, Christ, on, on the shore of the lake, called to them and, and told them how to catch a boatload of fish. Pardon, pardon the pun. Um, and invited them in for breakfast. Now, while they were sitting there at breakfast, Jesus asked Peter a question three times. What did he ask him? Pardon me? Do you love me? And he, he gave... He actually directed Peter three times to do something. What did he ask Peter to do? Feed my sheep. Can you imagine what's supposed to be gone through Peter's head? What in the world does that mean? I mean, he even echoes Ezekiel's response. Peter says, Lord, you know all things. What does he want me to do? You know, he's sitting on a beach while the risen Christ is grilling fish for him. And... The, the Savior of the world tells him to feed my sheep. He had to, at some level, grapple how that was going to play out in Peter's life. What could that possibly mean? He had to discover what God's call would actually mean in his life. I mean, 2,000 years later, we'll still, we're still talking about what feed my sheep means. He, he, he couldn't have had a clue. But we now know that we would name cathedrals after P- Peter. We now know how Peter would die. We now know what it would cost Peter to follow Jesus Christ. But at the time, he couldn't have a clue. Janice and I have a, have a timeshare on Kauai, in Hawaii. Um, we got it under the best of circumstances. It was free. Um, and we've been there several times. And it truly, Hawaii really is beautiful. It's a beautiful place. I remember the first time we went there, we were like kids. We were just so excited. The, the plane ride itself was exciting. The drive to the airport was exciting. Sitting at the gate was an adventure. We were just excited about what would happen and, and what the experience. We wanted to experience everything about it. I mean, and then we got there. It was just overwhelming. The sights, the sounds, the smell, the ocean. Now, we've been blessed to go there several times over the years, and, and things have changed a little bit. You know, we now have our favorite places to eat and our favorite places to sit on the beach. And we have kind of our routine where we get our groceries and and, uh, where we like to be when the sun sets. It's marvelous, but it's not quite the same. See, that sense of wonder, of adventure, have faded in favor of the sense of comfort and familiarity. In fact, there are some people who say, ah, we've been there so many times, we don't need to go anymore. We've done that. They've, the, maybe it's just not worth the hassle. It's too far away. The, the wonder, that sense of adventure and awe have been exchanged for pictures on a book or you know, magnets on the fridge. And I wonder if that isn't how our experience is with, with God. Even though he, can, he loves us immeasurably, intimately and personally, he's continually revealing himself to us. Do we cease to imagine what might be and settle for what is. Maybe it's just not worth the hassle. 
Buchanan goes on one more time and says, you see, there is a danger in not dreaming. God becomes less and less real to us. A rumor, an abstraction, a doctrine, an item for coffeehouse debate before we move on chatting about our favorite website. Now, don't misunderstand me. Some of us are doing wonderful things for the kingdom. You see, it's possible to live an extraordinary life in routine circumstances. Not everyone's going to act on the world stage, but every one of us can act through direct connection with the living God. Some of us are pouring our lives into others. Some of us are lifelong servants of Jesus Christ. Some of us long to hear the call of God. Some of us think it's not possible. The question I'm asking is a more fundamental one. Regardless of what what you're doing in your life today, do you carry with you a sense of expectancy, a notion that God will do something extraordinary in your life in any moment? He did it in Ezekiel's. He did it in Paul's. He did it in Gerald's. What, What would happen if you began to imagine God's hand is on you right now, exactly where you are? What would happen if you began to dream of how and where God could use you? Recently, uh, in New York City, an elderly rabbi was talking to a young member of his congregation, a young boy named Israel. And Israel was concerned that he would never be like Moses. He would never be as courageous as Moses was. He would never be as devout as Moses was. He would never be as godly as Moses was. And the rabbi reached over, touched him, and said gently, God will not ask you why you weren't Moses. He will ask you why you weren't my beautiful Izzy. Amen.